Thanks for joining us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. Take a second and send your story to amen at citychurchfl.org. And if you'd like to partner with this ministry financially, you can do that by going to citychurchfl.org slash give and select the giving option that works best for you. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you have your Bibles, I want you to stand with me as we read the scriptures, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 6 through 12. I'm going to do my best to get through it. I can't make any promises, but uh, we're going to read verses 6 through 12, and then uh, we're going to teach a little and preach a little, and we're going to have a great time in God. Amen? 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse number 6. And the Bible says, In this you greatly rejoice, even now, if for a little while you've had to suffer various trials. In order that the genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tried by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, and in whom though you do not see him now, you believe and you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory." receiving as a result of your faith the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that should come to you have inquired and searched diligently, seeking the events and the time the Spirit of Christ who was within them signified when he foretold the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, concerning the things which are now reported to you by those who have preached the gospel to you, through the Holy Spirit who was sent from heaven, things into which the angels desire to look. I, I want to speak to you this morning on the purpose of our pain and in an exceptional salvation. The purpose of our pain and an exceptional salvation. Uh, tomorrow is one year from the Pulse shooting here in Central Florida. And we're going to take a moment and we're going to pray. We're going to pray for the, the victims' families today. But we're also going to pray for our community and our city. Our city, our community, our nation needs the gospel. The writer of Chronicles says, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. We are called to pray for our communities. Jeremiah says we're to seek for the peace of our city. And I know that the enemy has come to kill, steal, and to destroy. But there's a glorious message of hope. It's the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And we've been entrusted and empowered with it. And as Christ followers today, we have a message of hope. The enemy has put out substitutes, but God has laid out a great plan of salvation. And we're going to pray today that salvation come to this city. Will you join with me as we pray for our community and city? Father, uh, today I come before you, and I ask, Lord, that you will pour out grace. You said, if my people, which are called by my name, will turn from their wicked ways, they will humble themselves, and they will pray, and they will seek my face that I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. And we are praying for the healing of a generation, a generation that's confused, a generation that doesn't know you, a generation that, that doesn't understand the marvelous grace that you've provided through this wonderful gift of salvation. And so, God, I pray for these family members of the, the loss of these uh, these these people that were slaughtered last year, God. I, I pray, Lord, that your grace would continue to be in their homes. It's difficult to make sense of these kinds of things, Lord, but we know that you are greater. Your power is greater. We pray for the revelation of the truth of who you are to become real to them. Father, we pray for our city leaders and our community leaders and pray for those who work in law enforcement, God, who, who are trying to just trying to do their part, God. And I, I pray that you'll give them grace and strength. And God, I pray for this local church. God, I pray for City Church that we'll get a greater passion. God, for people in our community who are far from you, people who need the wonderful message of your hope and love. 
God, I pray that you'll give us an ear to hear. You'll give us an ear to hear, and you'll give me a mouth to speak. I ask this, Jesus, in your mighty and your powerful name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Last week, uh, I... I just I opened up this book and I talked about a little bit of the background and what was taking place when Peter wrote this letter. He wrote this letter to Christians, some Jews, but many Gentiles, who were approximately 1,500 miles from Rome. They, they actually had, many of them had lived in Rome, but because of persecution, they were scattered. They were called the dispersia. The, the imagery here from Old Testament Israel being scattered, having to leave, leave Egypt and wandering through the wilderness and then going around the mountain trying to find their way to Canaan's land cannot be missed in the text of 1 Peter. All throughout Peter, you will see imagery that that you must have some understanding of the Old Testament Jewish history and background in order for this to make sense. And Peter talks to these believers. He calls them dispersia. He calls them the elect ones and very similar language that God used in relationship to his chosen people Israel. In the center of the old covenant, God had a people. They were the Jewish people. But when Christ came, the gospel came for all men. It was the plan of God from the beginning to the foundation of the world. It was his heart that no one should perish. The fact is God loves people. God is not one that anyone should die separated from him and live in eternity in a place called hell. It's not his plan and it's not his purpose. But the reality is, is that people make choices. The reality is that these Christians had experienced persecution because they took a stand for Christ. They took a stand for Jesus in a place where it wasn't popular. They lived, many of them, in Rome, and Nero was the emperor. He was the king, and, and, and they couldn't quite understand these monotheistic people who worshiped this one Jesus, this one God. They couldn't quite understand their practices, and it started causing conflict in their culture because people started getting saved. People started leaving their, their religious practices and the way of life of the Romans, and they started following this Jesus. They started living a, a life that was separated, and because of that, persecution came. Nero was a bad guy. He did a lot of bad things. And because of the intense persecution, these Christians, they fled. They bolted out of Rome. And they found themselves in Asia Minor, which would be modern-day Turkey. And there they were trying to hang on. They were trying to, trying to hang on. And Peter said, listen, you are the elect. You're the chosen. And he says, listen, I don't want you to forget this great salvation. This whole first chapter, Peter is talking about the living hope that's within us, that born-again life, that born-again experience, that transformed heart that we have because of a personal relationship with Christ. Don't forget this. This whole first chapter is about rejoicing and understanding, never forgetting the work of God's salvation in our life. And so he talked to them, he encouraged them, he challenged them. He said, listen, listen the same God that saved you, the same God by his Holy Spirit that saved you is the same God that has given you the power to be kept. He's the same God whose spirit that lives in you. He, he says that resurrection power of Christ that lives in you will strengthen and quicken your mortal bodies. Don't forget this. Don't forget it. God keeps you and God saves you. And, and, God, and God is with you all the way to the end. And so he's encouraging them in their faith. And as we travel through this book, we'll see these reoccurring themes. You'll see the reoccurring theme of this glorious work of salvation. He, he talks about the, the, the reality of suffering, which we're going to address today. The suffering in a culture and a generation that's opposed to the gospel. 
See, everything that happens in your life, God has allowed for a purpose. There's always a greater glory. It might not make sense this side of eternity, but when we cross the other side, it will make pure sense. And he talks about the, the purpose and the reality of suffering in this Christian journey. And in the, ultimately in that process, God is sanctifying us. It's a theological word that means he is setting apart, us apart for a higher purpose, a greater purpose. And so the sanctifying work of God making us more like his son Jesus. And, and when we have this proper understanding, this proper understanding of what he's actually doing, then we can submit. We can come up underneath these trials and these things that are taking place and the fact is most of relationship most of the conflicts that we have in life revolve around human relationships and how to navigate that how to honor one another and serve one another particularly between the relationships and husband and wife and children and then relationship to your government and your king then he doesn't want you to forget this peter says listen guys all this all this is so that we can be prepared for the return of jesus See, for 2,000 years now, Christians have lived with this expectancy. And here, I don't know about you, but here's the tension that we live in today. It's been 2,000 years since Peter wrote uh, the, re the revealing of Christ, the second coming of Jesus. And here we are. It just seems so far removed. When is he coming? He actually addresses these believers, and he says, there are those who say, where is the promise of his coming? It's been this way since the beginning. And Peter says, no, keep your eyes fixed. Gaze upon him. Don't forget that when, when men least expect it, the Son of Man will come. And so Peter is challenging the believers. And as we take this journey through the, the book of 1 Peter, I want you to look at verse number 6. Peter is addressing the pain and the problem of suffering and having a proper perspective on it. Look at verse number 6 here. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. You greatly rejoice in suffering. You greatly rejoice in pain. I mean, is that your first natural response? I mean, the first natural response when I have a problem is not necessarily to rejoice. My uncle used to walk around. We'd work on the job site, and he'd say, praise the Lord anyhow. Praise the Lord anyhow. Praise the Lord anyhow. I thought, you know, at the time, it kind of irritated me. But sometimes you just got to say, praise the Lord anyhow. <laughs> In this, you greatly, this is like a mega rejoice. In the Greek here, this is like an explosion of joy. I don't know about you, but in order for this to be taking place, you've got to have a different perspective of pain that's in your life. Because most of the time, we see ourselves as the center of the world. I mean, it's just who we are. It's, we're human. We're, we're, we have these human desires and wants and, and plans and goals. And when our goals are blocked, when our dreams are blocked, or when they're stopped, it creates pain. And so in this you greatly rejoice, even though now, if for a little while. And so he talks about this, having this sense of praise, living a life of praise even through problems. And then he says, even for a little while, you must understand you've had to suffer various trials. And so your trials that you experience in this life are temporary. This is just a test. Come on, everyone say it with me. This is just a test. See, he addressed these pilgrims. We, he addressed these chosen ones. And the fact is we are just passing through on this journey. And on the journey of life, there will be challenges. And they'll be multifaceted. There'll be challenges financially. There'll be challenges physically. There'll be challenges relationally. There'll be challenges physically. There's all kinds of challenges that we'll have to walk through in this life. 
And Peter says this, listen, listen, guys, it's a temporary thing. It's a temporary thing. The fact is what God desires to do in your life, in my life, is he desires to take the scars of life and turn them into stars for his glory. You see, as we walk through uh, this journey that we have today, James had the same understanding. I'm still processing this. I'm still understanding this 30 years in the journey. And I recognize this is an area that it's a continual progressive love affair with God. And it's a continual progressive warfare. You never arrive. We're always working on it. We're, we're always pressing into God. We're always, we're always needing more of him in our life. James says it like this, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. Now, why do they keep using the word great? Mega joy. Come on. What do they see? What do they know? Because they have a different perspective about what they are going through in their life. They're looking at the world through a different set of lenses. And that's what Peter is challenging you and I today. In 2 Corinthians, he says, Paul says it like this with the church at Corinth. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix on gaze on things that cannot be seen. The writer of Hebrews says we fix our gaze upon the author and the finisher of our faith. See, we fix our faith on that which is unseen because we know that the unseen is far more real than the seen. It's temporary. It's here but a moment. The things that we walk through in this life have a greater purpose and a greater glory. You see, that when, when he says, we've had to suffer these things for a little while, he recognized what Joseph recognized some 2,000 years before he wrote this. In Genesis chapter 37, it tells the story of a young man who had a great dream. He had a great vision, a great plan for his life. He was a man of great destiny. But the fact is, he shared his dream, he shared his destiny probably a little pre too prematurely. And he had some people that didn't like him. Matter of fact, they were his own brothers. And they put him into a pit. They, they, they tried to figure out what to do with him. Some of them wanted to kill him. Others said, no, we can't kill him. And so they decided to sell him off into slavery. And so from a pit, he becomes a slave. And from a slave, he finds himself in prison. And they're in prison being falsely accused for trying to rape a woman. I mean, things have gone from bad to worse. Things have been challenging. He suffered trials. But something in Joseph had a different perspective. Years later, after he walked through each of these trials, his brothers, God brings him back for this whole thing of reconciliation. You can read the story for yourself in Genesis chapter 50. He's the second most powerful man in the land of Egypt. He's just underneath Pharaoh. He's ruling the whole country. His brothers find themselves in the palace of Pharaoh, and there they stand before their brother who they don't even recognize. And the story tells us that Joseph began to weep emotion uncontrollable recognizing that God's hand had been in this whole process the fact is that you are in process today God is working in your life God is conforming your life God is changing your lives and the way that he does this is through troubles <laughs> we don't rejoice in troubles for themselves no one in their right mind goes looking for them all you have to do is wake up roll out of bed put one foot in front of the other and you got trouble staring in your face. 
The fact is we don't, we don't rejoice in, that, in that, that, and that that trouble happens necessarily, but we rejoice because we understand that God is doing in us and through us through those troubles. Joseph standing before his brothers. Famine had come to the land. People were dying for, for a lack of food. There was starvation. There was poverty. And this one man, Joseph, had found himself in the most, second most powerful position in all the land. When his brother stood before him, he said, you meant it for evil. You meant to destroy my life, but God meant it for good so that many could be saved. Come on, amen. Oh, our present troubles are small. They won't last very long. God has a greater goal. God has a greater, God has a greater goal. We may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor. Praise him. Praise him. The psalmist David, when David was being chased by his son Absalom, his own son was trying to take his head. His own son was trying to abdicate the throne and overthrow his father's rule. David found himself alone in the wilderness. As a matter of fact, he had went to a foreign nation, and, and, and the Bible says he stood before the king, and he feigned madness. It was such a painful time in his life. His own boy, that his own DNA, his own flesh and blood wanted to kill him. And there in the wilderness, David found himself writing these words. I will praise the Lord at all times, and his praises shall continually be in my mouth. That was a choice that he made. It was a personal choice to praise God in the darkest valleys of your life. Praise him anyhow. The trials may last for a week, a month, a year, 10 years. The purpose of trials, although may not be understood this side of heaven, always have a purpose in God. You see, verse number seven, I want you to see here. It says, in order that the genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, this faith, this salvation experience is more precious than all the wealth of the world. Jesus said a man can't serve God and mammon, money. There is a spiritual power behind money. It's the root cause, the love of it, the love of money, the love of it, the pursuit of it. It's why nations go to war with other nations. Always follow the money trail. Look, at the, look where the money trail takes you, and you'll always find power. And where there's power, there's a tendency to be corruption. And you see here, you see here, Peter saying, listen, you know, the world values wealth. The world values prosperity. The world values position. But we got something way more value, way more valuable. It's the preciousness. It's the beauty of our salvation. It's the grace of God that lives and dwells inside of every person who believes. Oh, this precious, this precious salvation. It never perishes, and though it is tried by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation. At the revelation. You see, the ultimate goal for God is to get you to the end. Remember, we, we read it last week. The same God that saved you is the same God that keeps you by his power. You're saved by grace, and you're kept by grace. You can't do this on your own. Yo, I'm saved now, God. I'm going to help you out. And I'm going to go. I'm gonna, uh, and all these things, these spiritual gymnastics that we try to do. And the whole time, God's saying, just trust me. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not upon your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge me and I'll direct your paths. I'll take care of you. I'm the great shepherd. I'm the good father. I'm the one who is the bread of life. I am your source. I am your strength. I am Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals all of your diseases. I am with you. Oh, that revelation of Jesus. Jesus is coming. I sang it last week. I broke out in song. Hurt some of your ears. But soon and soon and very soon we will see the king. It's the blessed hope of our, it's a blessed hope of the believer's life. See, God is making sure that our faith is real and genuine. He's wanting us to see that this salvation is far more valuable than any little love trinkets the world could hold out before you. It's, it's, it costs God. It costs God everything. It costs him his only son, his perfect son, our Savior. Whew. A great man once said, a faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. Your faith will be tested. Your Christian faith will be tested. Because a faith not tested can't be trusted. You know, they were being uh, persecuted for being Christ followers. We live in a culture today, it's, uh, wow, a lot of anger. And some of it's exasperated, obviously, by social media and the 24-hour, seven-day-a-week news cycle that we find ourselves in. But I got to tell you today, Christ followers around the world are experiencing more suffering and more pain at the name and the cause of Christ than any time in world history. A couple of years ago, 2014, there were a group of young girls, Christian girls in northern Nigeria who were at Christian school, at Christian school, where they taught the Bible as well as education. And over 300 of them were captivated by a group called Boko Haram. Boko Haram uh, means those who are opposed to Western knowledge and Western civilization. These men came in and they captured these girls and they made them slaves. They married them, some of them they killed. And, you know, they made the news for a while. And, and uh, I, I begin to read around that situation, around that story. We only get a part of it. We only get a part of the story. The fact is in northern Nigeria right now, believers are being murdered in villages this group of individuals, generally young men, disenfranchised with no purpose, have bought into a lie. And they want to destroy. They want to destroy anybody who disagrees with them. And so they go into Christian communities and they kill them. Oh, wait, we've got guns in America. Let me tell you, there are believers all over the world that don't have an opportunity to protect and, and, and to defend themselves. And many die for their faith. The fact is the cause of Christ in our culture. We recognize that there's a spiritual battle. Understand there's a spiritual conflict. It's not a conflict of flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers of darkness who come to destroy the work of salvation in mankind. The only hope for this world is the gospel. The only hope for this generation is the gospel. The only hope... The only hope for those young men who are part of this group of Boko Haram, the only hope is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ revealing himself to them in his grace and his love. It's the only hope. And our world is so confused. They've made it about religion, and God has made this thing about a relationship, about eternal life with him. Maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you've experienced a little persecution in the job. I remember standing around with a group of guys that were all unbelievers, and one of the guys I had developed a pretty good friendship with, and he was always poking me about my faith. 
And one day, right in front of a group of guys, one of the guys standing next to me was a Jewish guy. And he said, so Eugene, you, you're telling me that if this guy here doesn't accept Christ, he's going to hell? That's a fun way to stand around a group with a bunch of guys. <laughs> You've, you experience that in your workplace. The moment a person takes a stand for Christ, you don't have to say a lot of words. The moment you make decisions that are different than other people based on your faith and your desire to please God, people see it. People recognize it. And some people are with you. Some people understand you. Some people tolerate you. But there always seems to be one or two that wants to push you. And the fact is God has allowed that in your life. And God has allowed that in my life. These believers found themselves persecuted and scattered because of persecution. Our suffering in this life might not be like theirs, there's, but the pain is real and the suffering is real. So God's desire for each of us to receive this prize. 2 Timothy 4.8 says this, And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. The prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly and look forward to his appearing. Peter commends them. He says, guys, you're doing so good. Look at verse number 8. He says, whom you haven't seen this Jesus, but you still love him. You love Jesus. You haven't even seen him, and you love him. I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus open blinded eyes. I saw Jesus speak to the tomb that held the body of Lazarus and command him to come forth. I saw Jesus take five loaves and a, cup, uh, and a couple little fishies and feed thousands. I saw Jesus walk in the water. I saw Jesus open blinded eyes and cast out devils. I saw Jesus. You never saw Jesus and you still believe. Let me tell you today, God commends you. If you put your faith and hope in Christ alone, if you love Jesus and you've never actually seen him, God says, good job. Well done. I love you. And then he says to them, though you do not see him, you now believe. You trust him. Not only do you love Jesus, I'm commending you because you put your trust in him. You put your faith in him. And then he says that you will rejoice with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. We rejoice in Jesus. We rejoice in his grace. We rejoice in his goodness. Because here's the ultimate goal of God. Receiving as the result of your faith the salvation of your soul. The salvation of your soul. These Christians who had been scattered. These Christians who were experiencing persecution. These Christians who were living under the pain and suffering of this life. They were going to finish strong because God was with them. God hadn't forgotten them. You're here today. The same God that saved them is the same God that saved you. The same God that's going to keep you all the way to the end. Wow. Dr. Karl Barth was a famous German theologian in the 1960s. He was probably the eminent theologian in Christianity of that time. He he was very profound in his understanding of faith and the things of the Spirit. And he stood before a group of intellectuals at Princeton University. And there, after a time of, of, of expounding on truth and a revelation of God, he had a question and answer period. And one of the students asked him this question. Of the greatest theological truths that have ever crossed your mind, what is the greatest? And without missing any beat, he said, Jesus loves me. This I know, 
for the Bible tells me so. And Jesus loves you today. Just same Jesus that was with these guys, these women, these families that experienced pain and suffering. He's with us today. You say, well, this salvation, what am I being saved from? Well, let me just, let me just remind you what you've been saved from. First of all, you've been saved from your sin. You've been saved from your sin. Peter, as we go through this book, you'll see this. First Peter chapter 2, he says these words. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Come on. Over 30 years in the faith now. He took my sins. <laughs> the longer I walked down this journey... The more evident, the more real, the, the greater the reality to me of how far I have to go. I, I'm far more aware of my weakness and my sin and my failures today. I'm far more aware of my need for his grace and his mercy every morning. Jesus personally carried my sins. The sinless son of God he took him on a himself on that Christ, on that cross, so that we can be dead to sin and to live for what is right. By his wounds, by his stripes, we find healing, salvation, wholeness, deliverance, victory from sin. He saved me from my sin. That's what separated me from God. That's what kept me in bondage. That what kept me in fear and tyranny and lust and brokenness and, and deception. Save me from it. Never forget the beauty of this salvation. Sin cost God everything. Every blood drop that was shed from his brow was for you. When Jesus looked from the cross down the corridors of history, and he said these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He did it for you. Never forget that. Never forget the cost. Never forget the power of the cross to set men free from their sins and tyranny of death. But not only did he forgive us of our sins, he also saved us from the coming judgment. I texted somebody in the church yesterday. To me, this is one of the most terrorizing thoughts in all of the Bible. It's easy as a young preacher to talk about hell and eternity and damning people's souls. But when you really start thinking about it, when you really start thinking about eternity separated from God, whew, oh, when we get a proper understanding of what's at stake, everything's at stake. This is not a game. Church is in a game. We're a called out people with a message of hope to a generation that has no hope. We're a called out people who are, who are to lift up the name of Jesus, the only name unto which men can be saved. He is the King. He is the Lord. And the fact is, is that every man, every man will bow before this King, either in this life or in the life to come. Look what he says here. For the time has come for judgment. And it must, be begin, it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who've never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to the godless sinner? <laughs> We're going to get to the other side. We're going to get to the other side. We're going to get to the other side. And we're going to say, I'm in it! I 
made it! I made it! If the righteous are barely saved. Come on. We are in a battle. Satan, the next, the next passage I'm going to read to you is that there is an enemy of your soul. His name is Satan, slander, liar, Lucifer. He's the hater of all things righteous and good. He hates you. The Bible says that he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he made of our. The fact is today, Satan wants to destroy you. But there is a power of God that is greater. There is a grace of God that is greater. He will save you. He will keep you by the power of his Holy Spirit to the end. For this purpose, John says, hear me today. Why? Why salvation? So that we can experience freedom, deliverance, liberty from sin. So that we can escape the coming judgment. Folks, it's a scary thing to fall into the hands of a living God. We don't talk about the awesomeness of God. That word awesome should really only be reserved for God himself. He is the only one who is awesome. He is awesome. Oh, his glory, his majesty. We have no words to describe his matchless love. We have no human words. So unbelievable. It's indescribable. This glory revealed, waiting for the sons and the daughters of God who believe. He saved us. He saved you. He saved me. 1998, a young girl by the name of Karen Watson gave her life to Jesus. Shortly after she gave her life to Christ, she went through a lot of suffering. She was engaged to a young man at the time, and he died within the next year. Not only did he die, but within the next six months, her father and her sister both died. She had three deaths in the period of a year and a half, right after she came to Christ, right after she accepted the Lord. Instead of running and getting bitter and mad and all the questions that maybe a young believer would ask, she found herself diving into God. And she began to study the scriptures, and she began to thrust herself wholeheartedly into serving other people and loving God. And as she grew closer and closer to the Lord, she felt like God was stirring her to do something. And so she started going on mission trips with her church, just like we have 17 people in Jamaica right now. And she was on a trip to some place, and she felt like God had called her to go serve people in other places, to go to the nations, to serve the nations. And so this young uh, lady, she, she got back from a trip, and and in 2003, she decided that she was going to submit herself to the mission board of her, her denomination, and they sent her to a place called Iraq, Mosul, Mosul Iraq. And uh, she was doing humanitarian work, and they were sharing the gospel. There was four or five other missionaries that were with her. And uh, on March 14, 2004, she took a bullet to the back of the head, and she died. Not only did she die, but the other four missionaries that were with her, they were all slaughtered in a roadside ambush. She wrote, she had a premonition. She had a premonition. She, she wasn't sure. She knew she was going into a very dangerous hotspot. If you remember 2004, the war, you know, we were in fully engaged in Iraq and with our military. She wrote a letter on March 7, 2013, almost a year to the day before she was murdered. She said, Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger... You should only be open in this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, when God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible. My heart for the nations. 
I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory was my reward. His glory is my reward. One of the most important things to remember right now is to preserve the work. I'm writing this as if I'm still working among my people group. I thank you all so much for your prayers and support. Surely your reward in heaven will be great. Thank you for investing in my life and spiritual well-being. Keep seeing the mission hour, Mary's out. Keep raising up fine young pastors. In regards to any service, keep it small and simple. Yes, just preach the gospel. Be bold. Preach the life-saving, life-changing, forever, eternal gospel. Give glory and honor to our Father. And then she wrote these words. The missionary heart. Care for more than some think wise. Risk more than some think safe. Dream more than some think practical. Expect more than some think possible. I was not called to comfort or success, but to obedience. And hear these last words. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I love you too and my church family in his care. Wow. Whatever we're walking through in this life, there is a greater joy. There's a greater glory. Most of us in this room won't die this kind of death. This is not normative. That's why we read the story. That's why we tell her story. These words have been written. I believe the Holy Spirit inspired her to write these words because he knew that someday I'd be reading this letter in front of you in Central Florida. See, that's the testimony of the gospel, that God is good, that there is eternal life, that there is a great plan of salvation only found through Christ alone. And we're carriers of that message. We're carriers of that message in our community. We're carriers of that message in our city. We're carriers of that message uh, in our nation. We're carriers of that message to the nations. Sometimes that's too broad. We're carriers of that message of salvation and hope to our families, to our friends, to our co-workers, to our, to our neighbors. So you have a message today. You have a living hope that's inside of you. It's the hope of salvation found in Christ alone.